MLS Decision Day Madness, David Moyes Masterclass, and a managerial merry-go-round in the Premier League. It's been a crazy weekend, and we're here to talk about it on the Final Third Podcast. Thank you for downloading this episode. Uh, leave us a rating. If you enjoy the show, we always appreciate that. And as always, follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show. That link will be down below. All right. Uh, enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Final Third Podcast. It's Monday. It is our news and predictions episode. And what a weekend it was, Jack. I think I need to take a nap. How about you? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I might need to take a nap as well, especially with all the stress that I've just taken on from the past from the, like the last 15 minutes of the Minnesota United game. Yes, and we're going to get into that Minnesota United game. And a bunch of other games that happened this weekend and some off the field news because it is our news and predictions episode. As always, my name is Adrian Tabura. I'm one of your co-hosts, a fan of West Ham United and Minnesota United, which went very well today. Well, actually, Minnesota United, you can go either way. And the U.S. national teams, which uh, we'll talk about a little bit later. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jack. Yes, hello. I am a fan of Chelsea, which... Wasn't great this weekend, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Disappointing. Uh, Minnesota United repping the Michael Boxel jersey today, uh, and Atalanta, as well as the U.S. and French national teams. Yeah, and we have a jam-packed episode for you all today. So just to get things started as quickly as possible, Twitter, follow us on there at Final Third Show. Link will be down below. Leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts if you so choose. We will read out any five-star reviews that are on uh, the episode or the show, I guess, in general. And yeah, we'll be talking about some scorelines that happened in Europe today, some big uh, games that happened. Uh, the managerial merry-go-round, one might say, and uh, the MLS Decision Day recap. So stick uh, around for all of those news stories and uh, some of the other things we'll talk about, uh, some predictions and some U.S. men's national team roster reaction. Jack, let's get into it. What do you say? Yeah. Uh, why don't you kick it off, though? Oh, yeah, because, sure. you know, I I, I, I was going to leave this as a surprise for you because I, I think you're going to be very happy to hear this. West Ham are massive. Yes, they, they, they are. are a massive yes, club. They are. And AJ is very excited to talk about this one because today West Ham United took on Liverpool and beat them three to two. So AJ, to start you off, is David Moyes the best manager in West Ham's history or uh, is he just a genius? In uh, he, uh, well, A, he is a genius. B, greatest manager in, uh, history, in West Ham history. I think if he wins the next game, he will have a winning rate of 50% with West Ham, which I think would be the best in West Ham history. Uh, there have been managers, I can't really name them off the top of my head, that have won, you know, FA Cups and stuff. So I, I guess that they get a shout. But in recent memory, in Premier League history, yes, he is the best uh, for West Ham. And what one might say right now, the best manager in the world. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. He's great. I love him. I love him. He's uh, he's old. He kind of he kind of looks funny, but, you know, he's he a great looks guy. like Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. <laughs> But he, he's a great guy and even better manager. And I'm glad to be right now third place level on points with the reigning champions, Manchester City. 
and only three points against your lowly team, Chelsea FC. Lowly team, but is first in the table. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have it because West Ham did beat Liverpool. I'll let you have it. Yes, yes. Well, uh, let's walk through what happened in this Liverpool game and some other games as well. West Ham United took Liverpool on in London Stadium this Sunday. Uh, one of the first actions of the game was a corner. That was uh, West Ham's corner put in. And uh, Ogbana kind of, I would say, impeded Allison, Liverpool's goalkeeper. And Allison kind of like hits it in. Jack, I remember texting you saying that, oh, that probably should have been called back because he like kind of impeded him. The more I look at it, the more I'm like, maybe, maybe not. No, nah, he was just jump. He was just jumping yeah. with Allison. I, th- I think it's fair. Yeah. Although I, I get why Allison would be mad because his defense should have done a better job making oh, yeah. sure he didn't get that free space. Yeah, I yeah, I, I definitely agree. Ogbana did kind of he lifted his arm a little bit and the NBC commentators were like, that's an unnatural jumping position. I don't necessarily think so. So I can see either way, which way the goal w- would go. And the fact that it stands, I'm not going to complain about it, whatever. <laughs> uh, Ogbana got elbowed in the face and started bleeding. So he had a get taken off so uh virgil van dawson which was, <laughs> I knew it was coming <laughs> yeah literally i think was uh between him and virgil van dyke uh it was close in fact i, I think van dyke was the only uh uh bright spot for liverpool on this day uh trent was okay as well uh, oh yeah i should say trent but in terms of the the central part of liverpool definitely van dyke was the only reason why this game did not get out of hand uh, speaking of Trent, he had an amazing free kick goal just outside of the West Ham box, assisted by Salah, even though it was just a tap. So we'll take those fantasy <laughs> points regardless. And what a goal that was. Like, literally, no goalkeeper can ever get that because it was literally as far to the, the top right corner as you can get. It was, I, I think Fabianski stood still for it as well, yeah, didn't he? Fabianski saw it and was like, that's, I'm, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> uh, but what a goal it was, 1-1 at halftime. Uh, and then some, some some give and go balls, both sides kind of had their chances, but especially in the 67th minute, Jared Bowen lays a ball off to Pablo Fornals, who hits it. And Allison, you know, it was a one it was a one on one, to be fair. Allison got a touch on it. He, he like partially saved it, but didn't deflect it enough to hit it out of the way of his net. I really thought that he saved it, but no, it bounces to the back of the net. Pablo Fernal scores. Everyone's happy. I'm especially happy. Kurt Zuma then scores a goal off of a corner. Nobody's marking him. Trent Alexander-Arnold literally just ball watches the entire time. Most of their defense ball watches the entire time. Uh, Then Divock Origi gets kind of the consolation goal. It was a nice goal, to be fair. Uh, That was in the 83rd minute, and thankfully West Ham hold on to, to... get the three points, stay massive, and leapfrog Liverpool to become uh, third place in the league. Jack, I have a question for you, because obviously I am biased. I am a, a West Ham fan, huge West mm-hmm. Ham fan. Yep. But do you see, from an outsider's perspective, West Ham being legitimate top four contenders? They, they were, for a large part of last year, in and about that area, ended up finishing sixth. But do you think that this could be the year that David Moyes takes this West Ham team to be in the top four? 
it's it's tough because I think the one area that they need to improve on is, you know, the striker position because right. Mikel Antonio, he's good, right? He's good. But the issue is he is the only player that's like a natural number nine for, for West Ham, right? So, like, you can play Jared Bowen there as like a... A false nine-esque kind of player. Right, but it's not going to do the same job as Mikhail Antonio can do. So I think West Ham can challenge for that, but in January, their top priority has to be getting a backup striker in because that is the one area where I think if they're going to have problems, it's going to be there. Uh, You know, they they did well with the defense uh, to acquire, you know, brought in Craig Dawson on a permanent uh, brought in Kurt Zuma. They did well in the midfield, getting some creative players in there like Flasic. Um, so I and, or and crawl. Right. I, yeah, I almost, right. yeah, that's that's who I was forgetting. Uh, but they've got to have that number nine if they want to be challenging, because, you know. To I, because I want to talk about Chelsea slightly, I, I won't take too much away. <laughs> sure we, enough, we, we saw we saw like uh, at the weekend against Burnley how much it hurts when you don't have that true number nine that can finish chances because Chelsea had like five times the amount of shots as Burnley, I think, and still drew because we didn't have anyone up front to convert the big chances. So, yeah, uh, I I think West Ham can challenge for this, but got to be strategic in that January window. Uh, One quick question I do have for you before me. I I don't know if you had other stuff to talk about with this one, but um, Aaron Cresswell was involved in an interesting challenge that was reviewed by VAR. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that it was the right call for uh, for that to just be a foul, or do you think it should have been a red? I'm guessing you you probably think no, but I'm interested to hear from you on it. Uh, I I, I don't think it sh- should have been a red because I think I think violent conduct. Because uh, I, I think that's that's what the red was being reviewed as as a an instance of violent conduct. It has to be an instance where like you irresponsibly either lost control of your body and like like could potentially hurt someone, or you purposely uh, try to or successfully hurt someone. And from what I from what it looked like, yes, he lost control of his body and accidentally like went studs up into. Uh, that Liverpool player uh at the same time though it was 100% because he struck the ball awkwardly and that kind of like made him lunge forward that's not really something that you can replicate and use to your advantage or really even like you know look at that as something that can happen multiple times so the fact that it's such like a very isolated incident where it just so happened to be 100% an accident, 100% caused by an action preceding the tackle. Like, the tackle wasn't caused by him. It was caused by the ball. I don't think that's a red. Do you have any, like, idea on that? And Craig Pawson, the referee, is not a good referee. He, he oh, missed no. a lot of calls for both, both sides, I, I would say. Uh, maybe even especially Liverpool with that, uh, that Allison own goal that maybe should have been called off, but... Jack, what do you think about that before we move on to uh, United versus City? Yeah, it's tough, like you were saying, because it's tough to determine intent. We had this big discussion in another, ironically, in another Liverpool game uh, 
Yes. With, uh, Reese James getting a, getting a red card uh, because we were talking about intent and all that kind of stuff. But it's tough to kind of say that. I think you're, I think the referee probably got it right. I hate having to say that Craig Pawson's right uh, yeah, in any he's a case. Clown. Yeah. But I, I think that he, he, he just barely nicks Jordan Henderson. It's not like it doesn't look violent. It, it looks, it looks more like he just slipped more than anything. I, I think it's the right decision, yeah. but I was just interested to hear what you had to say on it. Yeah. And especially because Diego Jota, the reason why Agbana was bleeding from his head was because Jota elbowed him uh, when he was trying to jump for a ball and that didn't get called as a yellow or anything. So, right. Pawson is just a kind of a clown, uh, whether which side you uh, fall on, I guess, for these games. Speaking of uh, these games, let's go to another controversial one because. It looks like Ole is is still staying even after uh, City beat United two to zero in the Manchester derby. It was what a Bailey own goal to start us out, and then uh, who scored uh, the next goal for City? Bernardo Jack? Silva, of which was great for my fantasy team. Oh, nice, nice. Well, Jack, this was quite the interesting game as a neutral because Manchester City just kind of sat United down and just had their way with their midfield and defense and really it was such a comprehensive win and i know we throw that around a lot but literally like manchester city beat united in terms of a the scoreline b xg c shots because it was 16 to 5 d chances created 14 to 3 and when you look at the shots on target manchester united had as many shots on target against their own keeper than they did against Ederson. That's how badly City dominated United. I mean, it was literally uh, City had two thirds of the possession away from home in one of the biggest matches that their their club has on a year to year basis. This was not it, it really. I tweeted this out. It felt like they were playing against relegation fodder at home, but instead they were playing against what should be their biggest rivals jack what what has gone wrong for united and what has especially gone right for city oh well let's start with uh what went wrong for united veron getting injured almost immediately after coming back was a huge loss for them yes because you know mcguire as well uh their defense is just not doing well because one veron has been great for them and he's out injured two because of Veron's injury, they've been forced to bring Maguire back in, who is, you, you can see it in how he's, how he's playing. He's not fully fit. He was injured. He is not fully fit. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's pretty clear. And they, they just got destroyed because of that. And yeah, even when they went yeah. to a five in the back system with Shaw, Maguire, Lindelof, Bailey, and uh, Juan Basaka, still didn't help their defensive woes at all because, like you mentioned, those players are not really up to snuff compared to Veron. Right. And I, I, w- I will say for the, the big thing is just that midfield. It shouldn't spark confidence in anyone, not United fans. Should, it's not striking fear into the hearts of any opposition players. The McFred pivot is not working. It, it doesn't work. They're, they just don't play well together. McTominay and Fred either seem to drop back together or go ahead together. 
and neither are good because they get in each other's way a lot. It would it would work so much better if you had someone like I mean I know Pogba's suspended, but Pogba and Matic, for example, mm-hmm. they're completely different players. That that's the kind of system you want. You you're you're playing too many similar players out here, and you know the the other thing is the positioning of the, your wingbacks for me, if you're Manchester United is just not ideal because they they got they got smoked like they're they're fast right Bo- mm-hmm. both of these wingbacks are pretty fast but they got smoked a- a- on it because they just kept pressing higher and higher up the field because they're like oh it's a three at the back system we'll be fine but when two of those uh back there are an, a not fit Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof you're in trouble um so that uh, that's what we're wrong for United the defense just wasn't there the midfield didn't spark confidence and they just couldn't get stuff up to the forwards as well. Right. The I, big thing that went right for city though, mm-hmm. that midfield, they, they dominated it because their understanding how you play a variety of midfielders, right? Like they, they have Rodri who sits back, controls the tempo of the game. They have Gundogan, who's a central midfielder. He goes forward often, but his main job isn't to like create goals, right? And then they, you've got De Bruyne, whose job is to create goals and, and uh, interchanging with uh, Foden and Silva and Jesus, really. Like that, that variety of midfielders really did United in because each of them knew their job and they executed it. So I, I think that's, that's one of the things. Also, having that deep line midfielder in Rodri allowed their fullbacks to go forward and have some rain. That's that's why you see Cancelo get an assist and get make the strike that leads to the Bayi own goal. Right. So I think that's the big thing that went right for City. They just had the right system and they had the right mix of player types. Mm-hmm. I, I 100 percent agree. Like the way that I see this. It was it, it, it was really like a. I, I'll uh, quote Roy Keane here. It, it was like it was like men playing boys, you know, Li- like literally Manchester City came out with a plan. They were well organized. Their decision making skills were great. They had a system, like you said, that just complemented all their players. Well, it made sense given what they wanted to achieve in this game. They kept position well, obviously, because they had 66 percent of it and they waited for the right moment and they pounced. The, the patience was there. These are all like really basic things like you'd expect this out of most teams that that they have a good system, that their players complement it well and that they are organized and their decision making skills are good. But that was not found in Manchester United. And when you ask, like, is this was this a game that United lost or a city won? I'm going to go towards United losing this because even though obviously Pep Guardiola is a great coach, even though they have great players, you could see in the second half like they were just kind of just toying with their food at that point it, it literally was like just lions just like waiting for the prey to get tired and just wait out uh, until uh they can just pounce and that's literally what they did it, it, it the the gulf in not just player skill because obviously every single one of city's players minus like maybe four or five are better than united's but just tactically from the manager's perspective it's just night and day uh, and that gulf is huge between United and City. Ole should be out. 21% of home defeats in the Premier League have come under him now. 
with United. Like this is this is getting nuts. I can't believe he's still staying on. I can't believe that the board is still has confidence in him. But such is life, yeah. I guess. Can I, can I give you a quick stat about Ole real quick sure. that I think you might find interesting? So in the last, uh, I think it's five games, 15 points available. Ole has sco- has gotten four. Yikes. And if you if you take a look at so three in the in this time, three Premier League clubs have sacked their manager. You've got Newcastle, you've got um, Norwich and you have Aston, uh, Aston Villa. Villa. Aston Villa in their last five took zero out of 15 points. Right. Uh-huh. That that's awful. Uh, relegate relegation form. And they've dropped down the table as a result. Um, Newcastle took four out of 15 points. They still sacked their manager. And then you have Norwich. Norwich in their last five games have taken five points. They've taken more than Ole. They're in a relegation scrap and they still they still sack their manager even after a win. Like they it just shows the difference in mentality of these clubs. While other clubs are trying to improve and get better, Manchester United seems to be going for the nostalgia all in on nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I, I can't count. I, you should make a counter for how many times I've said this. Ole has lived off of his stoppage time winner against Bayern for too long and his reign at Manchester United on his actually keep him there for about another month. Let Chelsea play him and then he can go. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think uh, I think he should stay for a little bit longer so we can get three points. I'll catapult West Ham. Yeah, to their, actually, their... just give him until Christmas. Just give him. Until okay. Christmas, you know? <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about another uh, bad showing. Uh, Barcelona versus Celta Vigo, which I believe is who they played. I guess I yep. should have checked. Yeah. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Ended up being three to three. And this was this is quite the bad one because uh, Barcelona led three to zero going into halftime and choked. Ansu Fadi scored first. Sergio Busquets gets his yearly goal to make it two to zero. <laughs> Memphis Depay scores a great goal, three to zero. Uh, really one of the, the better first halves I've seen from uh, Barcelona since Komen got hired and obviously now subsequently got fired. So I was like, when I saw that, I was like, man, this is like really good. Like, it's really cool to see them playing well and playing to where they should be. And then we had some injuries. We had uh, Fati get injured. Uh, Garcia, I don't know if he actually got injured, uh, but he got taken off early. Regardless, they've had a lot of injuries and it all came apart. Uh, Iago Aspas for Celta Vigo, who always seems to do pretty well against Barcelona. I feel like I've, I've heard his name. Uh, a lot against Barcelona scores in the 52nd minute. Nolito scores again to make it two to three. And of course, who would it be other than Aspas in the in the 90 90th minute stoppage time? Last kick of the game, too. Yep. Makes it three to three. Gets a yellow card for celebrating. Worth it because uh, Barcelona. I, I believe it's they've gone like 250 games consecutively, where if they've led three to zero, they win the game. And that's been broken. And Jack, I think I, I, I really think there's one major reason why this is happening. And it's it's obviously not Komen because Komen's out. Do you have right. any idea what I'm about to say is the main issue here? Uh, is it that Barcelona is old and needs to replace a lot of parts? Yes, that, that, is, that is like <laughs> a part of it. And I will say that's because. Their injury list is so long, which is not helped by the fact that they are very old. Jack, I'm gonna I'm gonna name you uh, all the players that they have that are injured right now. Okay, okay. Ansu Fati, uh, Dembele, 
Sergio Aguero, Pedri, Sergino Dest, Nico Gonzalez, Eric Garcia, uh, PK, Braithwaite, Sergi Roberto, and Nito. That is, uh, at some point, <laughs> their injury 11 is going to be stronger than their actual starting 11. I think it already is. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the fact that Dest was starting as a right winger for at least three weeks there, not because that's his best position, but out of necessity, tells you a lot. The fact that they're starting the likes of Gavi, who is 17, 18 years old at winger now, which is not his best position. And he's also not probably the best choice, even though he's a great player to be playing right now. Like, it, it, it's not great. And if you take a step back, the reason why their injury list is so long and that their depth is bad is because they can't afford good depth because they're in this financial situation. People are saying, well, oh, they need to get reinforcements in January. Can't. You can't. Well, yeah, with what money? With what money <laughs> are you going to do that? Or if you're going to get a free, like which players are going to be available uh, that will be free and will come to Barcelona given like the mismanagement it's under right now? Hey, like, they, can they can take Fernando Adi. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think Fernando Adi might turn Barcelona down at this point. That, that, that's, that's how bad it's getting. But like seriously, like if they want any chance to get top four, they're going to need to a get some new uh like trainers, get some new medical staff or something to work some magic. Hope that these injured players get back, and b get magically get some reinforcements that can help you because it's not looking good right now. Uh, the big issue, of course, is that a you don't have any money, and b if you don't solve this and you miss Champions League, and you miss out on that Champions League money, this is a positive feedback loop where it's only going to get worse, and I, 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 I don't know where it ends. So I'm really hoping, not even for like as a fan, I'm just hoping like, like that Barcelona land on their feet just as like a football fan, you know what I mean? Right, right. Like, it's, it's tough. Jack, do you have anything to say about Barcelona that I haven't covered yet? I mean, it, you know, they sacked Komen and we were talking about this. I think it was last week yeah. that it, it seems like an odd decision because of how much they have to pay to get rid of him. <laughs> and I, I think I'm, I'm still still standing by that. I think they probably should have kept him until the end of his contract just because, you know, they, they really shouldn't have taken a $12 million loss. Yeah, because last contract. week. Last week, you mentioned that he was probably going to take a pay cut. No, he didn't. He's, he's getting yeah. the full 12 million <laughs> and they had yeah. to pay. They had to pay Al Saad for uh, Chavi's contract. So. Exactly. So it, it seems like, you know, it better be a successful thing. Like if, if the, the pressure, I don't think, you know, Barcelona managing already a high pressure job. Oh, yeah, of so much higher pressure when you consider all of the financial stuff with it. Yes. Like it, it not getting into Europe, like you said might literally just ruin barcelona oh boy oh boy that that's that's gonna be a tough from that for them to say the least and that's actually a great uh transition into our next topic i suppose which is the managerial merry-go-round that's happening right now not just chavi going to barcelona but Premier league kind of changing up so much a lot in yeah in, in, in recent times so we're gonna be talking about that and bring back our 
favorite segment, which is Hot or Not Manager Edition, uh, where we go and I ask Jack if this managerial firing slash hiring is a hot uh, move or a not hot move. Now let's start off with what you just mentioned, Jack, actually. Uh, Barcelona hiring Xavi as their new manager. Is this uh, hiring hot or not? Controversial opinion, potentially not. I, I, I really think not. I, I, I think it's it could turn out very similar to Ole at Man U, Lampard at Chelsea. He, he has history with the club, but he's relatively unproven as a manager. People always point to his Al Saad as being like, ooh, tiki-taka, very, very techie. It, it, it's one clip that's really good. Like, and it's also it's in Qatar. I, I mean, yeah, no offense to the Qatari League. I'm sure there's some great players that play there. But Qatar League is not La Liga. And it is not. I, I, I just think, you know, with all the financial considerations, not hot. All right. I, I said it was a hot transfer on like okay, on the field because okay. I think he couldn't get a lot out of like the attacking players, especially. But is this the answer to their financial woes? Obviously not. This is actually a part of the problem. Yeah. So I would go not hot with that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad we're in kind of agreement. I think a lot of fans are, even if they're happy that he's here, kind of see this as more of a PR move than an actual like, let's yeah. solve our root yeah. kind of issues move. Let's go to Tottenham firing Nuno. Unfortunately, this happened about mm, five hours before our episode aired uh, last <laughs> Monday, so we weren't actually able to talk about it. So here we are. They fired Nuno. They hired uh, Antonio Conte after, you know, getting him to believe in the projects. Jack, is Conte coming to Tottenham Hotspur hot or not hot? Uh, it hurts, first of all. I, I've got to say that. It hurts. Uh, but I... It, it's got to be hot. You, you know, he's a good manager. As much as it pains me to see him at Spurs. It's still it's still a good move. Uh, feel bad for Nuno. He's actually the shortest tenured Tottenham Hotspur manager in history uh, because of this. So mm -hmm. that that's that's kind of sad for him. But uh, I, I think I think like, you know, Conte is who they wanted from the start. So it is good for them. Yes. I, I also said hot, but this does put a lot of pressure on the board, especially Daniel Levy, to get results, to invest in the club. Because I tweeted this out. You have Harry Kane. You have a world-class manager, a world-class stadium. You have some of the best facilities. You have uh, allegedly a war chest ready to unleash uh, this January and next summer. If you don't win trophies at the very least, Daniel Levy's time is going to be a failure, looked at as a failure. Yes, he's done a whole lot for this club. But if all he's doing is just elevating their status and not elevating their trophy game, it's going to be a failure. All right. Newcastle potentially hiring Eddie Howe. There's a lot of uh, red tape that needs to get kind of cut before that happens. Uh, some reports that it's actually might not happen because Eddie Howe wasn't able to secure a deal to bring his backroom staff with him to Newcastle. But potentially, this still could happen. So, Jack, Eddie Howe, former AFC Bournemouth manager to Newcastle, is this hot or not, considering that 
they reached out to Unai Emery. Okay, you're giving me an L. Uh, explain. L. Explain. It's a massive L. It's it. Newcastle just had this big takeover, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna be one of the best. We're gonna be one of the best in the Premier League." Well, first of all, are they even gonna be in the Premier League next season? <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, sure. Eddie Howe. I mean, sure, he's fine. He was good with Bournemouth, uh, except for the season he got relegated. That was kind of bad. But even then, I I don't think that's like a substantial upgrade to Steve Bruce, if I'm being completely honest. I, I know I I know Steve Bruce isn't that good, but is is Eddie Howe that big of an upgrade like they with all of the money that's going into the club? They shouldn't be they should be looking at managers more on the tour of Conte. Not, not Eddie well, Howe. Well, right? well, here's like, the thing. Here's the thing, right? I know it's it's Newcastle. No one wants to go there, but yeah, that A and B. How do we know that this is going to be a long term kind of thing? What if they're True, getting yeah. Howe in for the season, maybe a season or two, to get to stabilize Newcastle, and when they're ready to pump money in, bringing in a more higher caliber head coach? Does that change your opinion at all? <sighs> Not really. Okay. I, I, I think I think there's better options still for like, you know, I I just I, I just don't I just don't trust it because he's an all right manager, but I he, he got a lot out of his squad, but I still think that it, it it's just not the right move. They they need someone who's going to keep him up. You know, big Sam, that's who they need. All right, yeah, I'm sure, kidding. Sure. I'm kidding. I'm being well, well, maybe this next uh, team could use Big Sam, which is Norwich, because they just fired Daniel Farka after winning their first game. But something tells me that it's not because he won the game. It's because he lost all the other ones. And <laughs> not even, all the other ones. He drew two of them. Drew, yeah, drew, drew, drew two. Drew two. It's good. Uh, but I actually looked him up because I, I, I forgot how involved he has been with Norwich City. He's been there since the end of the 2016-17 season gotten like managed 208 games with yeah. the club and obviously has gotten them promoted not just promoted i won the efl championship twice also got relegated in the season that they were up so obviously not the best resume obviously has just won that one game after what 11 games into the season yeah. so i guess it makes sense but jack from a very bird's eye view is this a hot or not move firing a uh, their longtime manager. Mm, I'm going to I'm actually going to say it, it's kind of not just because not many other managers are going to be willing to take on the the project that is Norwich. Yeah. Right. He, he's been there for a while. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so. he, he, he was there because it was a project. Like, like when exactly. they went, then when they went down, they're like, no, we're sticking with him because this project that we're that we're building, we're building up in the championship. We're going to take the Premier League by storm. Now they kind of got to restart that. And, who wants to take that if not like a very ambitious manager? Yeah, the th the thing is as well, like whoever they bring in has to know that it's incredibly unlikely they stay up. So they're yeah. basically preparing to get relegated, uh, which is sad given that it's the season's not even halfway done. <laughs> but it's kind of the sad reality for Norwich. And yeah, I that that that's my opinion. I think they should have give they should give him time because I no, actually don't think he here. I actually don't think he's done the most terrible job with I, Norwich because the thing is, like with the crop of players that he had that he has, do you think many managers are going to do much better? That that's the main question that that I have. Like the the defense is the main issue that sunk them. 
The defense is mostly championship quality. Mm-hmm. It's not great, so. Well, 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 here's the thing, right? What's the positive of keeping him? If, if we're asking what's the positive of letting him go, what's the positive of in keeping him? If, yeah, I, there's if, not many. If he's leading the project and the project's not working because it's been four years since they started it and you're still not getting Premier League results, then at some point you kind of need to like change everything. And even if the players obviously aren't up to par, I think the easiest thing is to fire a manager and be like, all right, so where do you want us to go now? Because they're, they're going to get relegated, so might as well get an interim manager and an actual permanent manager to lead a next project from the championship up. That's just the way I see it. I, I've talked yeah, about that I, before. I guess it's kind of like, you know, it's it's not hot and it's not not hot. It's like it's, room temperature. Yeah, it's just kind of, it, it just kind of <laughs> is, you know? It, yeah. It, it's just like, I guess that is what happens when this happens. It's, it's just on a low boil, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's just, what it's on. Just a, barely a simmer at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Aston Villa firing Dean Smith, though. That's an interesting one, especially after he's been there since, you know, October of 2018. Staying there for almost 140 games, spent 100 million euros this summer for some big, big players. Obviously lost Jack Grealish, but now they're fighting relegation. Jack, hot or not? Well, Dean Smith is interesting because he's got such a history with the club, right? It's his boyhood club. He, He stuck with Villa through everything, got them promoted, kept them up in the Premier League, invested. But I I think it's probably time for him to go, right? I I think it's a hot transfer or hot sacking, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's not really a transfer, but it's clear that his time with the club was kind of coming to a close. You know, he he kept them up. He he got them into a position where they can compete. but it just wasn't working because I, I I'm not sure if you agree with this, but I think he's pretty much like a championship level coach. Right. I, I think that's more of where he is. He's like yeah. he's like on the very verge between championship and Premier League, I think. Yeah, he, and, he, he's like an Eddie Howe. Yeah, yeah. Exa- exactly. Yeah. Obviously, he's done well with like uh, Brentford and I believe Walsall's where he was right. at yep. uh, a couple years before Brentford. But I. I I'm not going to say that that's his level because I think that he it's very likely that he gets a move to one of those like in between teams, maybe Norwich. I don't know. Yeah, that, but. That's the thing. I think I, I don't think he's necessarily not Premier League quality, but I don't think he's like, you know, fit for like a, a Premier League side that's challenging you from Europe. Yeah. Right. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I do feel kind of bad for him because it, it's a bad run of form. If you lose if you lose five games in a row, yeah, it's kind of tough to justify keeping you on, especially with the fall down the table. Right. 18 losses in 2021, too. So, yeah, not great. Not great. Most of that is due to to Grealish leaving as well and being injured for a lot of 2021. But still. And this sounds like the perfect job for a John Terry or Frank Lampard to take. I don't know why. That's just the vibes I get for this. No, no, no. If, if if either of them take over as the head coach of Aston Villa. Seeing John Terry as the assistant coach at Aston Villa already made me sad. But seeing either of them as the head coach, I don't think I can take I that know, because bro. you know I hate Aston Villa. That would be my nightmare right there. I'd put I'd put money on John Terry getting promoted or no, Frank Lampard going. No, because no, because Terry's not the assistant manager there anymore. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah, you I, I still put summer. money on either of them coming. No, please don't no, don't do that. No. Don't do it. Let's let's move on from Jack's nightmare and talk about 
uh, something else that you should never put money on, which is MLS, because <laughs> I'm so glad we finally got to this, because Major League Soccer, decision day, we finally have the crop of teams going to the MLS playoffs, competing for the MLS Cup. Jack, where do we even start with this? Do you want to start in the East and just go like game by game and then talk about the craziness that happened? Yeah, I mean, the East wasn't as exciting as the West. Yes. Let's, let's so, get that out of the way. Yeah, so, so the East, uh, Montreal and Orlando. Montreal needed to win this game in order to make the playoffs. Orlando were trying to consolidate their spot, uh, I believe, uh, in the home playoff spots. No, no, they weren't able to get it. No. Uh, but it was goals from uh, Daryl DK got a goal and uh, Mendez got the other. So Montreal, even after like a very good season, building towards something really cool, unfortunately weren't able to get that uh, that win and catapult themselves up into the playoffs. Uh, Columbus, Zellerayan and Barry 2-0 win over Chicago. Uh, they had a 1% chance of making the playoffs because they needed like five different things going their way. Didn't happen. <laughs> Uh, Atlanta United fell early to FC Cincinnati, but ended up winning thanks to Miles Robinson and Joseph Martinez. They consolidate uh, themselves into the East. Nashville and New York Red Bulls uh, split the points. Nashville very impressively get a, a home playoff game. Red Bulls just squeak into the last spot for the playoffs with this draw. New England and Inner Miami, uh, literally nothing to play for. Inner Miami weirdly enough thanks to a tweety goal yeah uh, beat the the supporter shield winners jack what, what's your opinion on that before i move on uh new england aren't necessarily the best mls team in history as people are putting them up to be just saying i think they might be it's possible they get an early playoff exit i think it's very possible but we'll see All right. Uh, NYCFC and Philadelphia Union played for uh, a home playoff game, trying to compete with each other. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but uh, Philadelphia gets second, NYCFC get fourth. They both get home playoffs. DC United, Toronto FC. Toronto had nothing to play for. DC United wanted to get a win to potentially get into the playoffs, but unfortunately, other results didn't go their way, and they missed out. Ola Kamara scored a brace and took the lead for the Golden Boot, but, of course, Castellanos for NYCFC scored, which means that he uh, wins the Golden Boot for this uh, season. Jack, what are your opinions on the Eastern games? Anything in particular? I, I feel bad for Montreal, man. I like Montreal, and it makes me sad that, the, that their season ends like this. But I, I, I will say, when we did our MLS predictions way back in, what was it, April? Yeah. You know, uh. It's crazy we've been doing the podcast for that long, for, for one, but uh, <laughs> sure. But still, uh, I, I said Mihailovic would be a big signing for Montreal. And he, he has been. He was. He, he, he won for most assists this, uh, this season. That's pretty big. So I think Montreal has some big things in the works. Uh, hopefully, I, 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 I'm not going to put money on them to make the playoffs next year, but I <laughs> hope they can. Yeah, so, so going over the actual playoff field, uh, New, New England uh, getting the supporter shield. They get a buy into the second round. Philadelphia will take on the New York Red Bulls uh, at Philadelphia. National SC take on Orlando. And the winner of that will play the winner of Philadelphia and New York. And NYCFC hosts Atlanta United. The winner of that will face New England in the second round. Let's move on to the crazier of the conferences, which would be the Western Conference. Going over the boring results that 
didn't really matter. San Jose and FC Dallas. Uh, Pepe missed a <laughs> Pepe missed a penalty, but then Dallas scored off of a a counterattack because San Jose put all ten outfield players into the box for a corner, and of course FC Dallas is gonna score there. Uh, but a very special player scored, and that was Chris Wondolowski. Jack, what's the news with Chris Wondolowski right now? Well, you know he is. I mean, quite literally, a big one of the biggest players for MLS because he has the record for the most goals scored mm-hmm. in MLS. And he ended his professional soccer career today with uh, with this draw against FC Dallas. He got a goal on the final game of his career. You know uh, what a career he's had, really. Yes, obviously, you know, he didn't have the best of times with the USMNT, but. Still, I, I think I think, uh, you know, his his impact to MLS can't be on can't be overstated, really. He's been fantastic for just San Jose in general. And it's been cool to watch him because uh, just a just a cool player. I guess. Yeah. One hundred and seventy one goals, according to Wikipedia in MLS. one hundred and seventy five or maybe that's including other competitions uh, on foot mob, at least. Sure, sure, sure. But regardless what a player though uh one of the best mls players in history in fact maybe the greatest so to see him retire is very sad yes he had that belgium miss but you gotta admit that players are more than a single bad moment and also that was a i'm not gonna get into it i'm not even gonna get into it don't, <laughs> even, don't even get me started uh but yeah that happens uh nothing of note happened out of that game because i think both were uh, already they were already eliminated yeah. but one other game that didn't matter portland versus austin portland they couldn't they they were already in fourth place yeah. regardless uh austin already out of the playoffs but portland battered austin to be fair <laughs> uh paredes uh nizgoda and blanco all scoring in this game uh to you know give austin a sad end to a, I'd say at least a semi-promising expansion season. Yeah, I, I think overall it's it, they're they're building towards something with Wolf and uh, what what he's doing there. So I, I think it, it's been a successful season for them. Uh, we are going to talk about the MLS season as a whole this upcoming Thursday. So if you want to hear us talk about Austin FC and their expansion season, listen there. Uh, another game that actually did matter a lot was Vancouver Whitecaps versus Seattle Sounders. Whitecaps were trying to make their way into the playoffs, which they did. They're now sixth seed. And the Seattle Sounders were very much trying to get that first seed. Uh, if they won that game and other results went their Actually, no. If they drew this game and other results went their way, they was, I think they still would have uh, been the first seed in the West. But if they won this game, no matter what, they would have been first seed. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Freddie Montero scored a penalty for Seattle to put them up 1-0. The Ryan God, uh, assisted by Brian White, who's been tearing it up recently, equalized for the Vancouver Whitecaps. And because of that, Seattle, thanks to other results, made it uh, second place in the West. And Whitecaps snuck in into the playoffs uh, thanks to other results as well. And the reason why Seattle Sounders weren't able to become that first seed in the West was because a, a little-known team known as the Colorado Rapids decided to decimate Los Angeles FC. Jack, do you want to walk us through what happened uh, there at all? 
Oof, well, it was it was quite a game. Uh, oh man, there there was just so many goals. Let let's just go through them real quick. Sure. First of all, Jonathan Lewis scores a goal. You know, he he got some stick from USMNT fans uh, after a some less than promising performances. Yeah. Assisted by uh, Calista. Yep, yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, former Minnesota United player uh, Cohen Warner, right? Yep. He scores to make it two to zero going into halftime with a 2-0 lead. And at that point, most people were like, all right, it's probably over for LAFC. Colorado are, are done. They're going to hold off on this. But Colorado were not done yet because Jonathan Lewis added a second in the 53rd minute. Just two minutes later, signing of the season, arguably, Christian Arango, very good player, scored a lot uh, despite just coming in this summer, I believe. Mm-hmm. Makes it 3-1. to one. LAFC think maybe there's a comeback coming back. Cole Bassett, though, scores to make it 4-1 to one in the 63rd. Brian Rodriguez tries to re- revive something, assisted by Carlos Vela in the 71st minute, but the Rapids ice the game in the 79th minute with a Dominique Badgie goal. 5-2, to two, which secures the Rapids. What a wild game. Yeah. Secures the Rapids' top spot in the West. Now, AJ, do you want to do a quick brag about something that you, uh, that you might have said? Yeah, so we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the MLS uh, season recap and go over our predictions from April. But one of the predictions I'm most proud of was I decided to, you know, predict the my pick for dark horses in MLS. And my two picks, New England Revolution, who won the Supporters Shield and the Eastern Conference regular season, and the Colorado Rapids, who won the Western Conference. So... Two for two there. Uh, uh, and we don't have to pay attention to my other predictions. I think those two are the, the most important ones. But yeah, like Colorado Rapids, what a season, what a game. LAFC, what a way to fall flat. Not just barely missing out on the playoffs. They were ninth seed. So not, not, great. not great. Let's talk about a game that mattered a whole lot. Sporting KC, Real Salt Lake. Real Salt Lake was trying, trying their best to make the playoffs they needed. Uh, a win and some help or yeah and sporting kc they needed to win this game to stay in the top seat of the west um conversation and for the most part it looked like it would be a zero zero draw this whole way like like they had chances both sides sporting kc was at home so that obviously had the power they had a lot of injuries so it left a lot of room open for real salt lake to uh try to score a goal and consolidate their their spot in the playoffs and you know for the most part it it looked like a zero zero draw until jack what happened well a croatian man struck a goal in the one of the last kicks of the game yeah one of the last i think it might have been the last kick of the game demir krylak came up huge for rsl melia clears away a, a corner it falls down uh, to, I believe, Rusnak. He goes for a bicycle kick. And who is there to tuck it in but Demir Krylak? Just swipes it into the net. Melia's caught off guard. And that secures RSL into the playoffs just barely. Seventh place in the play uh, in MLS. Yes. Exactly what they needed. Uh, Sporting KC falls down a little bit. I believe they are third seed now and but rsl you know they they needed a little bit more than a win 
They or not necessarily. They they need they needed the win, but they needed something else to go right as well, which brings us to the most exciting game of Decision Day by far. AJ, why don't you talk about LA Galaxy versus Minnesota United? Yes. Unfortunately, Jack, I believe you were uh you were doing something, so you weren't able to watch at least the first half of the, the game, if I remember correctly. I was, I, yes, I was having dinner. So. Uh, yes. So I, I watched the entire thing, uh, unfortunately and fortunately. Fortunately, because I got to see Minnesota United qualify for the playoffs. Unfortunately, for my heart health, because this game, <laughs> this game was the game of the weekend for MLS. Minnesota United strike early and fast. Adrian Unu um, off of an assist for Roman Metanier gets an early goal uh, for the away side, Minnesota United taking on LA Galaxy. Keep in mind now that Minnesota United have never won against the LA Galaxy in LA. They've won in Minnesota, but not ever away. And Minnesota United's away record is not great at all. Known for choking away leads, all this stuff. A lot of foreshadowing I'm doing right now because... It may come into play later, but the good news is, is Robin Ludd gets a two to zero lead uh, in the 34th minute. And now we're looking good. Minnesota United at the like, is controlling the game. Alec Galaxy can't get into it. And then they get into it because Sebastian Legette scores in the 45th minute in stoppage time to bring one back and bring all the momentum back to L.A. Galaxy. In fact, they had another chance in stoppage time. And it really looked like they could have scored and equalized it there because all that momentum was in the Galaxy's favor. I will say, though, when you look at the replay, uh, Chicharito is offside. And the ball looks like, I believe actually Kevin Cabral, who assisted this goal, was looking for Chicharito. Right. And that causes Miller to kind of hesitate because he thinks that uh, he thinks that Chicharito is going to kick it in. But he doesn't because Chicharito knows he's offside, so he stays still. And Sebastian Legette scores because of that split-second hesitation from uh, Tyler Miller. Obviously, that's offside. And there's no question about it because Chicharito literally, quite vividly, affects play from an offside position. That's a textbook offside. I, I hate it so much. Uh, but it gets worse from there, because after halftime, uh, Chicharito scores an outside-of-the-box shot. Uliana Araujo assists that, and now it's 2-2. Minnesota United is, or Minnesota sportsing this. And then a, a wonderful counterattack. Great uh, team play here. Sets up an own goal from Uliana Araujo, who it, it really shouldn't have been an own goal. Like He should have done a lot better there. He literally just kicks it into his own net, but what a goal it was. What a, what a great team play. And suddenly, Minnesota United are 3-2 up. It's looking great. And then Chicharito scores again, and it's 75th minute, and it's 3-3. And, you know, it, 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 even if Minnesota United tie, they're still guaranteed a spot. Even if they lose, they get help. Uh, at this point in time, RSL and Sporting KC are draw, drawing 0-0, so it looks like Minnesota United would have stayed in it regardless. And we get some more luck. Minnesota United get a penalty shout. Franco Fragapane uh, steps, steps up to take uh, the penalty, even though you'd expect Reynoso to potentially. Or Ludd. Or Ludd. Or, or Ludd you know, uh, some of our more dedicated set piece or striking options. But Fragapane, obviously, you know, has done well in the past, is a good striker, uh, winger, whatever you want to call him. 
So he steps up to take a penalty in the 89th minute to ice this game and at least guarantee us playoffs. Maybe not a win, but guarantee us playoffs. And Jack, what happens? Well, he does that little stutter step thing. And you text me, oh, he's going to miss now. And he did. He hits the outside frame of the goalpost and it bounces away. Terrible penalty, really. Uh, And all of a sudden, you know, I believe that is about the moment where RSL strikes the winner at SKC as well. Yeah, I I believe that the announcer for FS1 was like, uh, both these teams are completely safe unless RSL score right here. Oh, my gosh, they just scored. Yeah. (laughs) And suddenly the last like seven or so minutes of stoppage time become the most gut wrenching, most most uh, butt clenching moment of a Minnesota United fan and LA Galaxy fan because this is how the situation played out because RSL scored it means that they are into the playoffs LAFC are out but it also LA Galaxy LA Galaxy uh yeah yeah the LA Galaxy would be out unless the LA Galaxy win this game so right now three to three Minnesota United they're still in this game they're still in the playoffs but if the LA Galaxy win this game, that flips around. LA Galaxy are in the playoffs and Minnesota United are out. And so it's seven crucial minutes. A lot of chances. It, it, it looked like the, this entire stadium would blow up if Kevin Cabral or Chicharito would score one last goal. But thankfully, through the heroics of Tyler Miller and a bunch of other players, we held on and absolute insanity jack anything else to add to that oh man it it was such a stressful game i i ooh, i i i almost like i i feel like i almost passed out while watching that one i'm not gonna yeah. lie it was a it was a stressful moments uh almost as stressful as the seattle game from last play, uh, season's playoffs yeah. but at least this one had a happier ending yes it did have a happy ending because we are in the playoffs and here are the teams that are also in the playoffs with minnesota united uh spoiler alert none of the california or texas teams uh made it to the playoffs kind they're of the embarrassing only, i think they're the only teams that missed out right yes they are at least in the <laughs> west yes they are that's a uh, very very embarrassing from them but uh the the players are the teams that did make it colorado get that first round by because they won the western conference seattle sounders will host seventh seed uh real salt lake sporting kc will host vancouver whitecaps and portland timbers will host our minnesota united and uh, the winners of portland and minnesota will play colorado and the winners of the two versus seven and three versus six games will play each other in that second round oh Yep, that is Decision Day. It was crazy. One of my favorite Decision Days in recent memory since they even started doing Decision Day. There's so much to play for. And we'll talk about the MLS season as a whole later on uh, on Thursday and just kind of recap everything that happened and potentially preview some of the playoff games as well. Jack, anything else to say before we get into your uh, uh, very special segment? Yeah, well, I, I've got to say, Great decision day. Uh, the Eastern Conference didn't live up to to the hype, but, you know, MLS after dark. Of course. It, it had to be. It had to be. The Western, I'll, I'll, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Western Conference, Western Conference, you know. Eastern Conference, Leastern Conference. Exactly. Exactly. 
All right, let's move on to Jack's uh, segment, stat padding. Jack, take it away. Yeah, well, uh, stat padding, I am a big fan of statistics. AJ is as well, but we're also a big fan of some quiz and trivia questions, you know? So I thought, let me go through some interesting stats from different leagues and ask AJ some questions about this. This week, in honor of Decision Day, I went for an MOS special in week two of this new segment. So let's get started with this. Some interesting MOS stats, maybe not ones that you normally think of. So first, are you ready, AJ? Yes, I am. All right. 25 out of 27 teams have gotten red cards in the MOS. However, one team has amassed twice as many as the next team. Oh, gosh. Which team is it? And I have some hints for you. Okay. I'll take those hints. You'll, okay, so it's an Eastern Conference team. Okay, Eastern Conference team. Uh, do you have more hints? or can I, I, I have can one I, more. I have one more. They uh, are a playoff team. Okay, they're a playoff team, and they're uh, in Eastern Conference. NYCFC. That is correct. Yes, they have amassed let's go. eight red cards. Yeah, I, 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 when I think about NYCFC, I'm like, I just feel like they have a lot of red cards. Okay. Cool. Yeah, play playing in a baseball stadium really amps you up and uh, I guess gets yeah. you angry, you know, that you don't have a soccer specific stadium, <laughs> I'd imagine. So uh, let's go on to the next one. People like to joke on the Internet that Penaldo scores only penalties. While it's not a good joke in the slightest, it may <laughs> apply to one MLS player who has scored 50 percent of his goals from penalties. Who uh, is that? And I have some hints for you. Do you I'll want those, those right hints. away? Yes, I will. All right. It is an Eastern Conference player Man. and they have double digit goals. Double digit goals. I. Uh, OK, just off the top, I, I don't know all the Eastern Conference players that have double digit goals. So I'm just going to go with. I'm going to go with Gustavo Bo. Not quite. Do you uh, want one more guess? No, I'm not going to get it. All right. it, it, it's it. Ola Kamara. Oh, this, this was yeah. written before uh, before he scored that second goal that was not a penalty, but uh, nine out of his 19 goals were okay. penalties this season. So I think even if, even if it wasn't most assists gets uh, gets golden boot, I think, you know, Castellanos probably deserved it anyways. Yeah, but let's go on to question three. A lot of coaches in MLS like to maintain possession but two teams tried to be as neutral as possible. Which team in each conference has kept their average possession the closest to 50 percent? Wow. And I've got some hints because this is a tough one and All not right, a stat I'll... that people think about. Uh, in the these are both northern teams in the geographical <laughs> okay. location of the United States. Uh, the western team is a playoff team and the eastern one is a non playoff team. All right. So when I'm thinking about. Uh like why a team would be 50 50 a it could just be they don't have like quality to really possess so they kind of are both on the ball and off the ball and i also just think that that could also just mean that they don't like possessing <laughs> so I, I guess it really doesn't matter like what i think but obviously i think i'm gonna go lean towards that point a which means that they don't have a ton of quality so i'm gonna go for in the east, the Columbus Crew, and in the west, Vancouver Whitecaps. You've missed the mark on both of them, but Darn. if I give you this last hint, I kept it because I feel like you're going to get it if you if I say this. Okay. They're relatively close to each other in their Midwest teams. 
Okay, I'm I'm gonna go with Minnesota United and Chicago Fire. That is correct. Okay. Yes, Minnesota United has fifty point one percent average possession, and Chicago Fire forty nine point nine percent. So if they if they played each other, that that's a perfect fifty fifty oh, wow. almost. You're so right, right. Uh, would be an interesting matchup to see potentially. So uh, final major question. There's a bonus question associated with this one. I'll take but a bonus question. Many players in MLS are praised for their high work rate or high pressing abilities, but which player is the best at that when it comes to winning possession in the final third? Name Ooh, drop. Name drop. Uh, okay. Do you want some hints for I'll, this I'll, one? I'll, I will obviously take some hints. That's right. a very hard stat. It is a Western Conference player from a playoff team. Okay. And, and when we talk about winning possession in the final third, is this like an attacker, like pressing and getting possession? It, yes, it's an attacker. And you know what? I'll give you. Do you want? Uh, I have two other hints for you. OK, that you can choose which one do you would you rather hear nationality or shirt number? <laughs> I'll take nationality. Argentina. Argentina in the West. Oh, no. This is where this is where I choke. Uh, uh, in the West. West playoff team. Argentine. Uh, oh, no, it can't be Lodero because he's been gone for like forever. Uh, Argentinian. Uh, I'm just gonna go with somebody that I know, Reynoso. That's not true. That is correct. Oh, actually, yeah. Wow. This was made before tonight's games, but he has won it 40 times, which is seven more times than the next player. I actually did not expect that at all because I don't think about him as like someone that. We wins balls like that. He he has done it quite a bit. And bonus question for you. Sure. What other stat does the influential Argentine hold the top choice for or top spot for? I this is a multiple choice question. Okay. So I, I think I can get this. A is dribble success. Uh do you want the values for it as well? Would that would that help you? No, just, you just give just give right. me the stats. A is dribble success. B is successful dribbles per 90. C is oh, wow. key passes per match. Oh gosh! And D is uh is chances created. <sighs> okay, I- I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with successful dribbles per ninety B. But for some reason, I also think it's E, which is all of the above, because that sounds like something that Reynoso would do. But it- is it- is it B? It is B. You've got it. He has. 3.7 successful dribbles per 90, which is 0.7 more per 90 than second place, which is Toronto's Jefferson Soteldo. And in the dribble success, not even in the top 10, key passes per match, second place behind okay. uh, Carlos Hill. And foot mob rating, he is sixth overall. Okay. Or sorry, that uh, chances created. I changed it from that because foot mob okay, rating sure. was a. Uh, he he's not the top for chances created. He is fifth in chances created. Right, foot mob so. rating though, he is fifth overall in the league. Nice. So there you go. You you got. I believe that's uh two or three. We'll we'll say three because of the bonus question there. Okay. So not too bad. Three out of five for that one. All so, right. Not too bad. I, I think I know my MLS listeners. Yeah, I, hope, yeah. I hope you did uh, better than me. But something tells me that, I, I mean, NYCFC might be a, a gimme, but some of those were pretty difficult. As I said, weird stats. That, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm going for on that. All right. All right. So with that, let's move on to the U.S. Men's National Team corner. Obviously, the November window uh, is upon us against Mexico at home and away to Jamaica. 
So I think I'd very quickly go over my thoughts. And most importantly, instead of just me giving you my thoughts, I'll leave some thinking to the listeners by asking some major questions that need to be or are going to be answered in this window. So first of all, some notable inclusion and exclusions. In goal, it's the usual suspects, Stefan Turner and Johnson. Horvath making it kind of make sense because he just can't break into uh, Nottingham Forest right now. So I'm sure if he does that, he'll be in it. Defenders. Mark McKenzie is an interesting inclusion given that he hasn't really started for Genk in the Belgian league. Joe Scally makes his debut into camp after a great season so far with Munch and Gladbach at just 18-2. Notable exclusions include Matt Miazga, who's been playing very well for Alaves, getting La Liga Team of the Month. Sergino Dest, who is unfortunately injured, such a key player, hate to miss him. Another key player that's been missing is John Brooks, who hasn't been playing incredibly well for Wolfsburg, but yet it's still a Champions League team. Don't know why he's here. He's still our best defender. Midfield, uh, it's the usual suspects, including Lejette and Roldan, who haven't been amazing for their MLS teams. Of course, Lejette scored a, an unceremoniously uh, shouldn't have counted goal, whatever, whatever. Uh, so exclusions here. I think the big one is Della Torre, who, as I've said before in other episodes, is just a better Lejette, proven by his form in the Eredivisie. Forwards, this is a big one. The wingers from last time around are here, Aronson and Wea. Pepe is here uh, as a forward. And notable inclusions now, Pulisic, who comes back from injury, or is still in the process of coming back from injury. Ferreira, who's been on fire for FC Dallas recently. And Paula Ariolo, who admittedly has actually been playing pretty well for DC United, still might have some better options in the exclusions, which uh, are Conrad De La Fuente, who's been quiet in Liga since he started super well for Marseille, but still, you know, a very good player. And Reynon Hobby, who are unfortunately injured. The most surprising part about this is that we've only been taking one forward to this camp. Yes, we have Ferrer and Weyua who can play outside of their best position as a number nine, but we only have Ricardo Pepe. Of course, if we play him for 180 minutes, I guess it, you know, it's fine. But still, if he goes down injured, we don't have a true number nine to really back him up. I'd love to see Daryl DK, who's been playing very well for Orlando City again. Josh Sargent. Actually, no, I wouldn't like to see Josh Sargent. He's kind of been playing kind of bad for North City. Or Pifak, who has been playing pretty decently, albeit in a pretty lower league altogether. So those are the inclusions and exclusions. Here are the big questions I want to really make listeners think about, because I think this is some important questions that sometimes people don't talk about. Number one, I think is the biggest question that I do see a lot of discussion around, is obviously Pulisic coming back is huge especially when Destin Reyna are out due to injury still. We need the creativity from him. So the question is, will he be healthy enough to start? If you were Greg Burhalter, do you start him or do you use him as a super sub or do you just sit him for the entire, you know, two games? We need him so badly, but at the same time, his injury is still taking a long time to recover from. Thomas Tuchel has even warned Burhalter not to overwork him. So... How do we use Pulisic, who's obviously our best number 10, obviously our best player? That's going to be a question that we're going to see right away against Mexico. Personally, I'd probably expect him to be a super sub because he can still bring on some creativity. He's known for being a good super sub with Chelsea, and obviously we don't want to aggravate his injury further. But going off of that, the second question, where does our creativity come from if not Pulisic? We have defensive minor players that can keep solid in the back, 
We have a motor in the midfield with McKenney and Musa, and we have a great finisher in Pepe. If Pulisic isn't playing, who is our creative player? Reyna and Dest aren't here. They're very creative. So who fills in? Aronson and Weah need to be those guys because looking at the roster, there's not many other players else. And that is an indictment on this roster, indictment on Berhalter for not bringing in someone like Luca Della Torre to kind of be that midfielder. It's going to be tough. So we need to really rely on those wingers, Aronson and Weah, to build creativity from the midfield to the forward line. Next question is, who's going to be right back? Scali, Yedlin, or Cannon? It is another indictment on Berhalter for not bringing Scali in last window to integrate him in the team when it wasn't an urgent need. Now with Dest out, we might very well need to call him to action and potentially even start him against Mexico or Jamaica. For my money against Mexico, we're going to go with Yedlin, who's been all right with Galatasaray. But Jamaica, it might be a toss-up, so this is a big question to ask. Fourth question, why isn't Brooks here? Simple as that, and who fills in, I guess is a bigger question. Another huge indictment on Berhalter is being too form-focused on some players and not others. Yes, Brooks hasn't been playing well, but he's still, on his day, even not on his day, our best defender. So why keep him out based on form, but still Colin Legette, Acosta, Mark McKenzie, and Reggie Cannon, who haven't played well for both club and country for months now? Now we sit with Robinson, Richards, and Zimmerman as our top-choice center backs. We're all fine, but none of them are John Brooks, at least yet. So for my money, I'd probably go with Zimmerman and Robinson against Mexico just because you know that they are a good pairing and defensively sound. And then I want to see as much Richards as possible. So if, if they start against Mexico, I guess that's fine. But also Jamaica is a great option for him. And the final question, more towards Burhalter. Aside from some head-scratching selections, there's still admittedly been some good selections as well. But Burhalter already kind of got too cute for this roster. So can he make sure that he picks simply the best players and not overthink things? And this has been the question I've had for a long time. That's the biggest question, I think. I'm fine with Areola and some of these other guys being on the team. I can see what role they can play, especially as a super sub role. But if you stray away from your objective best team for too long, you're going to fail. And I think the question that needs to be asked is, can he stick with that best team and actually put his team up for success. Those are the biggest five questions I think we will need to answer and we'll find answers out against Mexico up this upcoming Friday. It's going to be a huge game. Uh, I don't know who's going to win, but actually, we're going to be talking about that very, very soon. Jack, that's it for the, the U.S. Men's National Team corner. Let's get started with last week's predictions. Jack, Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid, why don't you take it away and explain the scoring system here? Yeah, well, we're going to go through these last week's predictions pretty quickly. And uh, you get 10 points for getting the result correct. You get 20 points for getting the exact scoreline correct and zero points if you get none of it correct. So starting off with Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid, it finished two to zero in favor of Liverpool. Diogo Jota and Sadio Mane scoring off of Trent Alexander-Arnold assists for both of them in the 13th and 21st minute, respectively. Atletico Madrid's Felipe, a center back, got sent off in the 36th minute with a straight red card. And, you know, Liverpool just dominated this 73% to 27% possession, 3.22 expected goals to 0.25, six shots on target to zero. That's that just that shows the entire story. Uh, I guessed this exactly right. Two to zero. So I take 20 points for this. AJ guessed two to one. Very close. If Luis Suarez's goal was not ruled offside, maybe. 
but he will take 10 points for that. And the listeners said Liverpool as well. And listeners, remember, you can participate every week by voting in the polls that are released on our Twitter. Yep. Uh, next game is an MLS game, the penultimate game day, New York Red Bulls versus Atlanta United. Uh, it happens. It was 0-0. They both tied. Uh, didn't change their playoff chances too much, so not much to say there. Uh, Jack and I said this would be a New York Red Bulls win. Jack said 2-1. to one. I said 1-0. to zero. We both got zero points. Listeners really believed in the Atlanta United hype train. They voted for Atlanta United. They also got zero points because uh, this is zeros all around, I suppose. Uh, Jack, we already talked about United versus City, but why don't you walk us through the scores there? Yeah, well, AJ and the listeners both thought this would be a draw, but it was definitely not a draw. It was domination by Manchester City. Already talked about it in the scorelines. Score was 2-0, to zero, own goal by Eric Bailly, and a goal by Bernardo Silva made it 2-0 for the Citizens. I guessed 1-0 to zero in this one. That gets me 10 points. Zero, as I said, for AJ's 0-0 zero, zero draw projection. And oh, wow. the listeners saying a draw as well. Oh, man. A lot of zeros for me so far. Hopefully this next one I don't get a zero. Oh, wait, I did. This is <laughs> NYCFC versus Philadelphia Union. I kind of alluded to this already. It was a one-to-one draw, so I won't talk about it too much. Uh, both were obviously fighting for a home playoff spot. NYFC midfielder and former U.S. men's national team and Arsenal youth prospect Gideon Zalalem was hit with a red card early on. Kasper Shabilko scored off a Leon uh, Flash cross to make it 1-0, to zero, but Castellanos equalized in the second half, equalizing for his team and winning the Golden Boot race for himself. Philadelphia finished second and will host the New York Red Bulls. NYCFC finished fourth and will host Atlanta United. Jack said 1-0 to zero for NYCFC. I said 3-1 to one for NYCFC, and listeners also backed NYCFC. Uh, we all get zero points because it ended up being a draw. And I'll quickly talk about LA Galaxy versus Minnesota United because we already alluded to this and talked about it in depth. It was a 3-3 three to three draw. Jack really wanted Minnesota United to win. If the penalty uh, would have been scored, it would have been uh, 10 oh points for him. He said 2-1, to one, so he gets zero points. I couldn't be really further from the truth. I got 2-0 to zero for LA Galaxy. I get zero points. And our listeners, you know, congratulations, got it right in the money. They got a draw, so they get 10 points right there. Jack, I'll let you do the honors for our uh, final scores for this week. Yeah, so for this week, I got 30 points. Not too bad. Uh, pretty pretty average week. Uh, the listeners got 20 points. And AJ had a bit of an, uh, an off week, uh, both in his draft FPL team and yes. in the prediction game. Yes. Uh, he gets 10 points, which I believe puts the listeners over AJ in the overall yes. standings for yes. first time, I think. So, yep, the first time. I think I'm lo- I think I'm the first person to be losing to the listeners. I, no, I, I was for quite okay. a while, but then I had a week where I scored 60. So yeah, that helped. That, that, that was a good week from you. So right now, the final scores or not the final scores, the, the overall season scores for the prediction game. Jack's at 295 points. Listeners are 30 behind at 265. And I am 40 behind uh, Jack, 10 behind listeners at 250. Five. That can all change this week. We kick things off with the biggest match in U.S. men's national team uh, World Cup qualifying 2021 cycle history. So I guess not that long. This is U.S. men's national team versus Mexico in the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Both are in very good contention to, to uh, make it to the to the World Cup via automatic qualification. But this game will help consolidate their spots 
USA are missing some key players, whether it be Reyna and Des due to injury or John Brooks due to a healthy scratch. Home field advantage will come into play for the USA as we are playing in Cincinnati, but I have no doubt that Mexican fans will come out in Jerosa's game, minimizing the effect at least a little bit. I do think that the USA have a chance. Of course they do. They beat Mexico twice this year already. But when it comes down to who we replace those starters with, that's where things get murky. I have a feeling Berhalter's going to overthink these personnel choices and kind of muck things up, but at least get kind of an okay result out of it. I'm going for a one-to-one draw. Jack, are you putting your patriotism hat on, or are you uh, a, a pessimist here, I suppose? I was going to go for the 1-1 draw, but to make it interesting, we're going full Patriot mode here. We're going for wow. a 2-1 win. You know, it's it. Do you know, what, do you know what's, do you know what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. Joe Scally is going to score wow. in, the 90, in the 90th minute to win the game. I, I'm seeing into the future, bro. It's fine. Just thank, thank me when Joe Scally scores in the 90th minute. It's fine. Jack, if Joe Scally scores in the 90th minute to win this game, 2-1, Mm-hmm. I, I will give you one hundred dollars. All right. All right. I, there's no risk to me. I like this. I like it. <laughs> yeah, that, literally, that's no risk to you because I, I want that to happen. I, I will pay one hundred dollars for that to happen. Uh, the next game is Uruguay versus Argentina. We've talked about this matchup plenty of times before. But Jack, why don't you walk us through what you think about this game? Uh, well, they're they're great rivals, really. Uruguay and Argentina. It's going to be interesting. Argentina have not lost yet in world cup qualifying that's true i believe they're second uh, place with 25 points right they they've drawn a lot of games uruguay versus argentina you know the last time they faced each other just earlier in october it was a 3-0 uh yeah i'm thinking i'm thinking of the right yeah oh my god i i'm tired <laughs> uh they finished three to zero against uruguay i think that they're going to do something similar i'm gonna say two to zero this time oh, because wow. they are playing in uruguay it's going to be tougher, but Argentina, they're still they're still kind of riding the high from winning the Copa America. So they are they, I, I think I think they could do this and win it two to zero. Yeah, Argentina have brought in a great squad of young players like Federico Gomez Girth, who is 17 years old, Matidia Sule, who's killing it in Serie A for, for Juventus. They have the usual uh, suspects there, but you also have Lisandro Martinez of Ajax and Paulo Dybala making a cameo. Very, very exciting cast. Meanwhile, Uruguay is missing Cavani. De La Cruz, Maxi Gomez, Valverde, and more regulars due to injury. It's been a while since Argentina won in Uruguay, but there's a first time for everything. I'm going with another 1-0 win for Argentina. Let's go to another match that we have talked about in the past, both in the Euros and I think recently, Italy versus Switzerland. UEFA World Cup qualifying this time around. Uh, they, they're first and second in Group C right now, World Cup qualifying with 14 points each. In my mind, this is Italy's game to lose. We know that they have better quality players. That's a given. Even without reportedly Bonucci or Cialini, their defense still has Bastoni and Aserbay. Uh, and not to mention, they have probably the best midfield in national team uh, play right now. They have the likes of Barella, Jorginho, Locatelli, Tonali, Pobega. Great names overall, and they're playing at home. Yes, they lost to Spain uh, in the Nations League semifinal, but they beat Belgium, which is more impressive than any of Switzerland's recent wins. I'm going with a two to zero win, Jack, for Italy or for Switzerland. Who are you siding with? Yeah, well, you'll remember this was in the round of sixteen of the Euros. I, I believe these uh, they faced off here. Uh, 
Am I saying that right? I think it's round of 16. I, they I, faced I th- off they faced off in the first elimination round. Uh Is that true? Cuz I thought Switzerland No, uh, it was Austria. Ignore me. Ignore yeah, me. Ooh, I I'm remembering wrong. I apologize it, to all Switzerland fans. <laughs> it's late. It's late. I'm sorry. I apologize to the country of Switzerland. It's all right. Um but I'm I'm going to go for Italy to win this as well. Uh and I I'm also looking forward to see Nicola Zaniolo back from injury okay. because okay. Uh, last year during uh, the Nations League, he had a very nasty ACL tear injury. So it'll be good to see him finally back. He's a bright young prospect for Italy. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm going to go for a two to one win. I think Switzerland still have some good attacking talent that they can use. And if they don't have Chiellini and Panucci, Italy it's going to be a little bit tougher for them to yeah, keep true. that clean sheet. Uh, so that's what I'll go for. All right. And Portugal versus Serbia with a game in hand. Portugal sits two points behind Serbia in their World Cup qualifying group. Jack, is Portugal going to take this? They are at home. What do you think about this game? Well, you'll remember the reverse of this game was riddled with controversy after that last uh, minute Goal slash no goal, uh, where yes. it looked like it crossed the line, but uh, did n- uh, apparently did not. <laughs> Allegedly, yes. Allegedly, yeah. It will be very interesting to see how this plays out. You know, whoever wins this is going to qualify for the World Cup, pretty much. Like, that. that's, that's the importance of this game. If Serbia win this one, assuming, you know, Portugal beat Ireland, not too bad of an assumption, they're qualifying. And I think Serbia, given the position they're in, are going to try and take that with force. But it won't be enough. I think Portugal are going to win this one. I'm going to say one to zero. They're playing at home. It's going to benefit them one to zero. I want sir. I would love for an upset, to be fair, but I I just can't back it. Okay. well, I actually was also going to go for a one to zero. So just to be different, I'm going to go for a three to one win for Portugal. Dang, Okay. Actually, what I'm about to say totally contradicts that, but I'm just going to go with it anyways. I really like Portugal's defense, Cancelo, Semedo, Fonte, and Diaz. Their midfield is also very defensive-minded, which brings up concerns in attack that we've previously had. Uh, these concerns are very real, especially going back to the Euros. I look out for the likes of Fernandez and Renato Sanchez to be the main guys in the midfield. Their attack's also crazy stacked with Bernardo Silva, Joao Felix, Ronaldo, Jota, and Liao all possible picks without a very good cohesive midfield. It'll be hard to really unlock these guys because that link between the defense and the attack won't be as strong as say other teams, but Portugal or Portugal, I'm going to go with a three to one regardless. Uh, here's a matchup that we have talked about previously on our Thursday deep dive episode. Cause we predict that Chicago red stars would meet the Portland thorns uh, in the semifinals. And that's what's happening. Gianna, Jack, and I both discussed, or all three of us discussed, the playoffs for the NWSL. So if you want to listen to that, check that out. Jack, it's Portland versus Chicago Red Stars. If I remember correctly, you said the Thorns would win. Are you sticking with that? Yeah, I'm going to stick with it. I know. I'm, I'm sorry, Gianna. I'm sorry if you're, if you're listening right now. Very sorry. But the Thorns have had an extra week of rest. Chicago Red Stars had to fight hard to get that 1-0 win. I uh, I want the Chicago Red Stars to do well, but I think the Portland Thorns are very good. And 
I think I said a one-to-one draw in that, but if I'm saying for an actual win, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go one to zero for Portland. Okay, going one to zero, which I actually if I if I look back uh at this correctly, yeah. I said did. one to one in a penalty shootout Portland would win. Sure. So uh, mending yes, it a little did. bit. Yes, you did. Okay, yeah. so, so all right. I mean, that's fine. I, I'm I'm sticking with my original prediction, which is a zero zero penalty win for Chicago Red Stars. So I'm I'm sticking with that. I, I fully predict a penalty shootout to happen. So I'm going with the zero zero. You know what? Can I can I change mine to be a penalty shootout win for Portland just okay. to make it interesting? All right. Just just to make it interesting. Just to Why make not? It interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sure thing. I'll stick with what I said. All Why right. Not? Those are our predictions, Jack. How do you feel about them? Do you think you'll win? We have a lot of. I, actually, we have almost entirely the same predictions, except it's going to come down to the U.S. Oh, the Mexico game and the NWSL semifinal there. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. And listeners, of course, as always, you can help us uh, with this game by participating. Jack, where can they participate on Twitter? They can participate on Twitter at Final Third Show. You can vote in the polls every week. Uh, make sure to retweet those and get those out there so we can get as many votes as possible. We love hearing from everyone about their thoughts on these exciting games that are coming up this week. You know, World Cup qualification is finishing up. Uh, you're definitely going to want to follow us on Twitter to see AJ's live reactions to the USMNT versus Mexico game, to Ugh. see my reactions when France finally qualify for the World Cup, hopefully. I, I think it's pretty much in the bag, but yeah, we're just yeah. just hoping, uh, just hoping that we don't slip up and uh, make a big mistake. But regardless, you're going to want to see those things. So follow us on Twitter at Final Third Show. Yes. And don't forget to follow us on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, what have you. And also leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We read out any five star reviews. That's always, always appreciated. Go ahead and tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth always helps. Tell your dad about the show and how crazy the Minnesota United LA Galaxy game was. I'm sure he would love to hear it. We'll be back on Thursday to talk MLS in the regular season with you guys and potentially the playoffs and preview that. And we'll see you guys same time, same place next Monday for our news and predictions episode. See ya. Bye for now.